You are now listening to the Rose of Sharon Church podcast. It is our prayer that God challenges your heart during this week's message. If you would like to let us know what God is doing in your life, please email us at rostnshare at gmail.com. We're glad you're here. Welcome home to Rose of Sharon Church. And so let's go there together. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word from the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 5? And I'll explain chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, but we'll read from chapter 5 and beginning with verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 5 and beginning with verse number 1. A word of the Lord to Rose of Sharon today. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren of the Jews. For there were that said, We are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged even our lands, our vineyards. We've even mortgaged and sold our houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and our vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of even our brethren and our children as the children low. And we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of them daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our, in our power to redeem them. Think about that. Already, neither is it in our power to redeem them. How many of you know none of us in here can redeem one another, but only the blood of Jesus Christ can redeem you from your sin? But there's also a natural redemption here that I want to talk about. For other men have our lands and have our vineyards. And here's Nehemiah's reaction to this that the Jews brought up in chapter 5. It says in verse 6, And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning, and I want us to pray today, and I want to preach to you for a few moments of time as you bow your head and close your eyes, these words, Lord, I have been taken advantage of. Lord, I've been taken advantage of. And I just want to preach on the advantage that was taken of you this morning. And I want to help you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to lift your hearts. Would you pray with me, each of you together, pray with me this morning. Father, I love you today, and I thank you, Lord, for your precious word. And God, I pray today that, Father, you would use me as your vessel to speak as the oracle of God, Father, concerning those in this room that feel as though they've been taken advantage of or maybe feel as though they've been taken for granted for. And God, I pray that, Father, you would help me through your word to articulate exactly what the Holy Spirit himself would say to each and every single individual heal. Take these lips of clay. Anoint me, Father. Use me as the vessel of the Lord. Make me the pen of a ready writer that I might write upon the tablets of the hearts of men and women in this room, Lord. And we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Lord, I have been taken advantage of. Now, I just want to recap just for a few moments of time, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4 to you this morning. I know that your pastor has been in a series on the crazy things that people do, that God has been telling those people in the Word of God just different things to do by faith. And how many of you know there are a lot of crazy things in the Word of God? Amen. I mean, a guy even lived inside of a fish for three days. 
Think about that. There's a lot of crazy things that, that happen throughout the Word of God. And, and this is one of those moments where it's kind of crazy, but the task is really crazy in this particular, in this particular text because what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with a guy named Nehemiah that Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon at that time, had fulfilled a 70-year prophecy of a guy named Ezekiel that told the children of Israel that they were going to be in bondage in Babylon. Babylonian captivity for 70 years. The end of that 70 year captivity ended and it came time for the Jews to be released and, and there was a king there that made a governorship over Jerusalem, over the city of Jerusalem and he appointed Nehemiah, this book called Nehemiah Nehemiah the person as the governor over the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah goes and in chapter 1 of Nehemiah he gets to the city of Jerusalem and he sees that the walls are destroyed, the city has been torn down. The gates have been burned with fire, Brother Rose. It's a horrible scene. And in fact, the Bible even says there was rubble there. Incredible rubble where the Babylonians and the Chaldeans many years ago had torn down the city. And it was terrible. And there was a lot of rubbish. And your Bible says in chapter 1 that Nehemiah began to cry. Can I tell you, all of us cry over the things in our lives that have been destroyed. Come on, somebody. We all cry over those things. The beautiful city, the city of Jerusalem, it had been torn down. His dream city. His love. His city that he wanted to go to. It's the land of his homage. The land of his homeland had been destroyed and been torn down. And can you imagine 70 years the city had been neglected? Can I tell you, I took over a farm uh, a couple of years ago that had been neglected for five years. There, In that farm that I took over, brother, that had been neglected for five years, there were saplings out in the middle of the that that were that big around in a field that had been neglected for five years. We had to doze some of that stuff out of the way before we could even start brush hogging and burning. Can you imagine what a city would look like if it had been abandoned and neglected for 70 years? Think about that, church family. All of the trees had grown up. The vines had grown up. The rubble was all in the way. And your Bible says, just fast forwarding a little bit, that Nehemiah took the project upon himself to call forth the elders out of Babylon, out of this Jewish captivity, and they began to rebuild the city. Can I tell you something? Just fast forwarding a little bit. When you try to rebuild something that's been broken down in your life, the only way you can do it is one rock at a time. Come on, somebody. You can't do it overnight, baby. You, you can't rebuild your life after it's been torn up and torn down and, and been bulldozed over overnight. So many of us in this generation, we want to zap it and snap it and we want to make it all just beautiful and perfect. And amen. And we, we want to make it all perfect and pretty. And we just want God to somehow just poof and there it is. Look at your neighbor and say, poof, there it is. And, and we want all of that to try to happen in our life. But can I tell you, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. you got to take one rock and pull it all over this rock and put it in this pile over here. you got to tear this out and fix this and doze that off and put another pile of rocks over here and, and make sure that, you, oh, okay, I can make something out of this rock over here. I can build something with that. No, I can't do nothing with that. Well, I'll make driveway out of that. We'll just crush it and make it into gravel and make it into drive. you got to take it one step at a time. 
And the Bible says that these Jews and these elders came back from Babylonian captivity and by chapter 2 they're rebuilding the city and chapter 3 they're doing great and they get to chapter 4 and your Bible says two enemies come against them named Sambai and Tobiah and Sambalat and Tobiah and they, they come against them in a direct opposition and they stir up the Amorites and they stir up the Canaanites of that area and they say what is this that these children of Israel are rebuilding their lives they're rebuilding the new Jerusalem they're, they're rebuilding a city that had been torn down 70 years ago man I feel the Holy Ghost this morning they're, they're rebuilding this thing and, and they're trying to set it all back in order and Sambiat and Tobiah and, and Sambalat come against them and stir up the enemies of Israel against them to try to destroy them and to try to prevent them from rebuilding the walls. But oh, I love preaching chapter 4 because chapter 4 of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is when they realize that their enemy is about to come against them. You know what? Nehemiah stirs up the people and they're working day and night on the wall. And I love that great verse at the end of chapter 4 where the Bible says the people continued to have a mind to work and then also each one of them had a trial in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. What does that mean, Brother B? It means when you're rebuilding your life, you got to learn how to work on the wall and fight the devil at the same time. Come on, somebody. And I love that. I like that part. I love it because we know that part. We know we got to work for the Lord and keep fighting the devil. And we got to hold our trial in our hand. And it may be one brick today. That may be the only thing I lay on the wall today. But I'm going to keep my weapon in my hand because if the devil comes up, I'm going to chop his head off trying to touch my wall. Come on, somebody. Amen. And, and, and so, man, they're working on the wall and they're getting the wall rebuilt and half of the workers are standing on the top of the wall watching and looking over the rubble to make sure no enemies come up against them and the other part of the workers have their weapons and their trials and they're rebuilding the wall. I want you to look at somebody this morning in the pews and say, would you help me rebuild the wall? Would, would you help me rebuild the wall? We need helpers and, 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 and somebody that you trust, I want you to look at them. I trust this woman right here. I trust this man right over here. You need to learn how to look at the people that help you rebuild the walls in your life and say, watch for the devil for me, would you? <laughs> watch for the devil for me. If you see the devil coming up by my rear, you be sure and throw a rock at him and let me know. Come on, somebody. Amen. You've got to have somebody that helps you build on the wall and holds the trial and looks out for you. But when it gets to chapter number 5, an internal problem takes place. An internal problem takes place. You know, it's one thing when you're a Christian and you face the devil head on. That's one thing. But when you face the devil from within, anybody listen to what this preacher is saying? It's one thing to rebuke the devil when he's coming right at you. What do you do? I just rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me. Get under my feet, devil. But when the devil starts messing on what's inside, inside of you, what's inside of your family, what's inside of your home, What's inside of the walls of your city? When the devil starts messing with what's inside, that's a whole other problem altogether by itself. And when we pick up in chapter 5, which is what we just read, there's an internal problem going on. 
They had their enemies on the outside and they had their weapons and their trials. But on the inside of their house, their own people were becoming poor because of a poverty of a dearth that had occurred through a drought. And what they had done in the middle of this drought is they had mortgaged their homes, their families, and even they had gotten to the point where they sold their children into bond service to buy the food they needed in order to sustain them in their own house to continue the work on the wall. And when you get to chapter 5 and you see this, this is a problem that takes place on the inside of the family. And now the Jews were upset, the poor Jews, because I want you to understand, when God brings people out of bondage, He brings all kinds out of bondage. All kinds out. He brings the rich folks and the poor folks. God redeems everybody the same. Through what, Brother B? The blood of Jesus. So always and forever, you're always going to have the rich and you're going to have the poor. You're always going to have the haves. Talk to me. And the have-nots. You're, you're always going to have that in every situation. And in this situation, you had the haves and the have-nots. You had the rich and you had the poor. And those people that had come out of Babylonian captivity were all coming to reap in the promised land. They were coming to reap their inheritance within the promised land. Look over at your neighbor and say, you have land. You have a promise. You have an inheritance. It doesn't matter whether you're rich. It doesn't matter matter whether you're rapport but if you're redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ each and every single one of us has an inheritance that God desires for us to have oh yes yes it's true you have land provided for you how do you know it well look at the real estate psalm Psalm, psalms chapter 37 says seven times the righteous shall inherit the earth oh baby yeah I may be living in a duplex now but there's ranch land with my name on it come on somebody yeah I might have to lease the farm I got right now but one of these days I'm going to have the deed to that place why because there's an inheritance promised unto me and so even the poor Israelites had an inheritance Everybody had their family land. Everybody had their family home. And each one was set on the same level plane in order to increase. Let me tell you something. Just because somebody's got a little bit more than you, let me tell you, if God doesn't bless it, they won't increase. But that little bit that you got, if you'll use to work it and you'll set your mind to it, God can give you more increase than those that have and think they have more. God can increase your little. Oh, yes, He can. Little is much when God is in it, huh? And He can give you more for your trouble than they had to start with. But this group came up to Nehemiah and they said, there's a drought going on. And you know what happened? Some well-meaning Jews and elders of the people of the elders said, you know what, we're going to take advantage of this opportunity and these poor folks and we're going to make them poorer because we've got a little bit of money here. We're going to get the corn and we're going to jack the price up on the corn and these Jews will have to buy it from us but they'll have to put their children into bond service and put their lands in mortgages to us. And do you know what? According to the Jewish law in the book of Leviticus, that was against the law of God. And it was called usury. 
It was against the law of God. And these well-meaning Jews who thought that they were going to take advantage of these other Jews, they broke the law of God by committing usury and giving high interest rates. How many of you say, Brother B, I got a mortgage. Wave your hand at me. Come on, somebody. I got a mortgage. I'll be paying my payments. Anybody? I pay my payments. And, and, and how many of you know that each and every single one of us, most of us in here, if we just be honest, we've lived paycheck to paycheck live paycheck to paycheck and most of the time us living paycheck to paycheck we need next week's check hello somebody we need next week's checks in order to cover this week's bills anybody talking to me I mean, we got it. We all have to deal with it. And these poor Jews uh, that were living on next week's paycheck, these older Jews, these elder Jews took advantage of them because of a drought that had taken in the land. And they mortgaged their homes and their families. And now this injustice that took place among the children of Israel called usury had now taken advantage of these poor Jews. As I was reading over this scripture and praying about this. And he said, I want you to go and preach this. He said, I want you to go and preach this in their face. And he said, I don't want you to cower down. He said, I want you to preach what I give you to preach. I want you to tell them, thus saith the Lord, there's somebody in here that feels like you have been taken advantage of. There's somebody in this room, regardless of your circumstances or where you come from or, or, or how you got here or how you're leaving here, you feel a little twinge inside of you. You feel a pricking inside of you because you feel like you've come into a land of inheritance. You've come into a land of blessing, but somehow it's been stolen from you. Somehow it's been ripped from your hands. You can see it and, and you can taste it and you can touch it, but for some reason you can't can't seem to receive it. That's the people I'm talking to this morning. I mean, you're in the middle of it. You're even in the middle of your promised land, but somehow you don't know how to embrace it. Somehow you don't know how to lay hold of it. And, and I just want to stop right here and say, it's not the pastor's fault that you haven't been able to lay hold of it. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not Rose of Sharon's fault. But for some reason, you feel taken advantage of. Take a, take a few moments and turn within your Bibles. Let's lay a, a little more scripture on this. Psalms chapter 55. Psalms chapter number 55. David is feeling disadvantaged inside of his heart. David is feeling a moment here of disadvantagement. And, and, and I told you a few moments ago that it's one thing to face your enemy on the outside, but it's altogether another. Another thing to face your enemy on the inside. Look at Psalms chapter 55 and look at verse number 12. David said these words, For it was not an enemy that reproached me or took advantage of me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid it from him. Verse 13, But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. What was David saying? He was saying, it was one thing if my enemy would have approached me on the outside, but the disadvantage came from within inside my own house. It came from within inside my own house. Look at verse 14. And we even took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company together. Oh, could we expound on this a little bit? How many of us in this room don't lift any hands and don't look at your wife, sir, because you're going to get in big trouble right now if you look at your wife. But how many of us in this room would even say inside of our own hearts, it was within my own house that I felt like I got took for granted of. 
It was in my own house. Maybe, maybe my wife seemed how to have taken advantage of me or my husband has seemed how to take advantage of me. And how many amens could I get this morning? And how many of you would say sometimes your own children kind of take you a little bit for granted. Anybody talking to me in this room? Even even your own children. Uh, uh, we had one time, we had a Christmas, and, and we were pretty well off. We had pretty good money at this Christmas. We were living in Heber Springs. We were the associate pastors at Heber Springs. I was making pretty good coin back then, and, and I was feeling pretty good. Had a nice house, and we bought our babies Christmas presents. And, and won't your babies bless you and give you hugs and kisses when you buy your babies Christmas presents? Hello, somebody. And, and we had spent some pretty good money that year and I, I said let's get them the nice shoes and the nice presents and and you know what we got them all these nice presents and Christmas day came and our little babies which were pre-teenagers how many have ever had pre-teenagers in your house and they came and they opened them presents joy and we didn't get no hugs we didn't get no kisses and nobody said thank you Nobody even said thank you. And I was looking over in 1 Timothy thinking, oh, dear God, Jesus is coming because we got an unthankful generation in our house. Hello, somebody. And I knew I had raised my babies different from that. But won't your children sometimes even take advantage of you? And Mama looked at them, and I looked at Mama, and she said, well, let's let it go for a day or two. Maybe their brain just fell out of the top of their head somewhere. Maybe two days from now they'll come and tell us thank you. And so me and Mama cooked a meal, and we fed them little babies, didn't we, baby? Amen. And we fed them babies, and day one went by. No thank you. Day two went by. No thank you. I thought I spent some money on that phone. If that boy don't tell me thank you, I'm going to go out there and bust that phone up, get me a receipt and some cash. Anybody talking? And, uh, and, uh, and day four went by and day five and, and a week went by and she said, we got to do something about this. And I said, well, let's pray. And, and so we pray and we set them children down the next Thanksgiving, the next year. And we said, look, because you were unthankful, because you didn't hug mama's neck and kiss daddy on the cheek because we worked so hard to provide them Christmas gifts, this year ain't going to be no Christmas gifts. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all of our Christmas budget of our money this year and we're we're going to set in front of you an AG missionary calendar and you're going to pick out an AG missionary and you're going to give your Christmas money and your present to an AG Christmas, an AG uh, missionary for Christmas this year and we're going to play board games and we're going to have cornbread and beans. Glory to God. And you know what them babies did? They picked them out an AG missionary, Brother Rose, and we took our missions budget and we put it in little envelopes and they sent that off their Christmas. Their, can you imagine the stories they told on us at school the next day? Come on, somebody. The next week, the mother and daddy didn't give us no Christmas. They made us give to missions because we was unthankful. And you know what? Them babies gave to them missionaries and we had our cornbread and beans and we played our board games. And you know what? That was one of the best Christmases we ever had in Air's house. We got kisses and hugs and didn't give no present. <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa almost rebelled against us, didn't they? But we shut them down too, took their money too, and gave it to missions too. Glory to God. Them babies learned that year. And you know what they say now? When we, when we give to them and we bless them, they say, thank you. Huh? You know what they do now when we buy their meal now? Thank you. Huh? Wow, and, it, and it's, these Jews here, this, this man here taking advantage of David and there was no thankfulness. There was no appreciation for what had been done. 
And Satan had opposed them, but now he had opposed them from the inside. What does it mean to be taken advantage of? It means a person in a position that is given that position to try to help others using someone to get what they want out of them. Have you ever been used by somebody? Somebody in your life. You people in the recovery center. Let me tell you something. You don't, you don't do drugs and, and do all that mess out there in the world without somebody trying to use you and use you back for how you use them. Oh, I wish somebody would say amen in here. You ain't ever going to get delivered till you get real with it. Huh? You ain't going to get delivered till you get real with it. Ladies and, 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 and women that are in the recovery. Somebody used you. Someone took advantage of you. And you might have taken advantage of them. And, and I'm talking to some elders in the church here this morning. Maybe you've been in a position to try to help somebody. But instead of helping them, you use them to gain for yourself. Oh, God forbid us from ever using our position to gain prowess or gain power or gain some sort of authority over others to the place that we use them and we don't appreciate them and we take them for granted without ever ever giving them an opportunity to come up. If we're going to help people up, we can't help people up by stepping on top of them. we got to help them up by lifting them up together. Is anybody hearing me preach this morning? Hallelujah. We got to help them up by helping them together. And the word advantage means to be in a position where you could help, but you took advantage of them for your own gain. It means to make use for your own gain. It means to use others somehow as a stepping stone. And you know what Jesus said in, in the book of Luke chapter number 17? He said, there will be offenses that will come. He said, even unto His disciples, He said, there will be offenses that will come unto you. He said, but woe unto them unto whom those offenses are gone out. Why? Because Jesus... Jesus doesn't like redeemed people stepping on each other in order to come up in the world. Jesus doesn't like redeemed Holy Ghost filled blood washed people stepping on each other trying to come up in the world. No, Jesus wants us all growing together. Huh? Jesus wants us all growing together. He wants us helping one another. He wants us praying for one another. He wants us blessing for one another. And you may have sown in your field, and I may have sown in my field, but there's a drought in the land. And if we don't help each other out, we're going to starve to death. We're going to starve if we don't help each other out in the middle of this drought. Oh, Brother B, revival's in the land. No, it's not. There are doom clouds over this church and over every church in this nation because the riches of our nation is corrupting our mind and a spiritual drought is taking place and judgment is on the horizon for our nation if we don't repent and turn to God. Doesn't matter for Republicans in office. That doesn't mean God's blessing America. Doesn't matter if a rich man's in office. That doesn't mean God's blessing America. It could be very well that our blessings deceive us from turning to a righteous God versus our poverty. More rich men in hell than there are poor. Hey. What does it mean to take someone for granted? It means to expect someone or something to always be there without giving recognition or thanks. I don't want to ever get to the place where I take my wife for granted and oh God forbid that I ever take advantage of her. But I want to appreciate her and I want to thank you for being by my side. 
Hello, somebody. Thank you for sticking with me through thick and thin. Thank you that when I was down, you picked me up. When you were down, I picked you up. Let's appreciate one another. Let's not take advantage of one another. Let's not preach for selfish gain. And let's not reveal our emotions and become so emotionally connected to one another that we somehow suck the life out of another person when we're trying to help another person come into the presence of God. And so these Jews had taken advantage of the poor Jews. And the building of the wall stopped. The building of the wall stopped because now they were mortgaging their sons and their daughters off into bond servants in order to get corn to feed their families. My dad, Don Ayers, did the family history of, of the Ayers family. We found out in 1764, three members of the Ayers family came over from England, but they came over in the bottom of the boat. They didn't come over in the top of the boat. The Ayers family is the three members from the Ayers family that came over in 1764 to our family name that we know to our family credit. One is buried in a cemetery in Pennsylvania. Another is buried in a cemetery in New York. Another one made it as far as New Jersey into the wilderness of New Jersey in the early 1700s, 1764, even before the American War took place, the Revolutionary War. Each one of them served nine years in someone's house in bond service. All three of those families of the heirs' families were in bondage and in bond service. Maybe they weren't slaves, but they had to work for the master for nine years before they could even get out and inherit their promised land. Many of you, if you searched your family history, would find out that many of your family members were in bond service in order to come over here into this nation. So we are not so far removed from bond service that each of us in here doesn't have some sort of equivalent or acquaintance with what slavery is, what bond service is. And when you feel like you've been taken advantage of, you just feel like a bond. Well, I'm working for someone else's benefit, but I'm not working for my own benefit. Can I get any witnesses in here this morning? Sometimes you feel like that in marriage. Sometimes you feel like that with your kids. I'm working for someone else's benefit, but I'm not working for my benefit. Sometimes you feel like that with your employer. Your employer stands on you and he's standing on you so he can gain in the world. Maybe the factory's standing on you or maybe the, the, maybe the entrepreneur is standing on you and you're working. You're doing all you can, but you can't seem to come up because everything else is standing on top of you. They mortgaged their lands. They borrowed money. They took usury of each other. What do we do when we get taken advantage of? What's the Christian response when we feel like we've been taken advantage of? Take your Bibles and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Are you receiving this word? Say amen. 1 Peter chapter number 2. What do I do when I've been taken advantage of? Look at 1 Peter chapter number 2 and I, I want to pick up in verse number 13. Brother B, I've been taken advantage of in my life. And I got through that, but now it feels like I'm being taken advantage of again. And I'm a Christian, Brother B. I love God, but I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Here's the instructions from God's Word to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Look at what it says. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king. How many of you know kings will take advantage of you? Come on. How many of you know presidents will too? So will local governments. 
They take advantage of us. But what does the Scripture say? It says, submit yourself to every ordinance of, of man for the Lord's sake. God knows that you're suffering. God knows that you've been taken advantage of. God knows those that, have, that, have, that you've borrowed from and those, those things that are chasing you down right now. But He says, submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be king as supreme or unto governors as to them that sent by them for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Verse 15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You may be taken advantage of, but guess what? You have to stay Christian. You can't lose your Jesus because somebody took your money. You can't lose your Jesus because somebody repolled your car. You can't, you, you can't lose your Jesus because you lost your house. I remember when they came and put the locks on the door on my house. I remember that day. Trust me. Every bit of spirit of cuss was right there and spirit of the Holy Ghost was right there all at the same time. And to keep from cussing, it was sha la 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 huh? Come on, somebody. I know what it is to lose some things. I, I know what it is to have stuff taken from you. I know what it is when the car company comes and drives the car back to the car lot because you can't afford it. And, and yes, some of us were stupid. Yes, some of us made some bad decisions. But I also know what it is when you're doing the right thing and you still can't get ahead. I got one witness. I know what it is to do the right thing and you still can't get ahead. Why? Because the system is taking advantage of you. Do I have anybody help me preach this morning? Huh? And, and you're doing, doing what you know to do is right. You're serving the Lord. You're living by a budget. You're paying your tithe. You're being faithful to the house of God. But sometimes God doesn't deliver you out. And the reason He doesn't deliver you out is because He wants to see how much Jesus is really in you. And He lets you go through the pressure to see what Jesus is going to come out of you. Or worse, what devil might come out of you? And the pressure gets turned up and we get taken advantage of. And things happen in our life. But look, it was the will of God, verse 15, that in doing well you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 16, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. And look at verse 17. What do I do when I've been taken advantage of? Honor all men. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. You say, Brother B, I've been taken advantage of and i got to show them honor. Listen, I'm not talking about abuse. Abuse is a whole separate subject. I'm not preaching about you being abused this morning. If you're being abused, you need to cry out and get some help. If you're being abused. But what I'm talking about is being taken advantage of. The first step for you to learn how to be Christian when you've been taken advantage of is to show honor anyway. Show honor anyway. Let me tell you something. You can be respectful to anybody full of the devil. You can be yes ma'am. No ma'am. Yes sir. No sir. To any devil out here. Any devil in Memphis, you can still be respectful. Anybody take advantage of you, anybody say something stupid to you, you can say something nice back. You don't have to be full of the devil if they are. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to, to, to respond to something ugly with something ugly back. No, you can be 
sane, in your right mind. You can conduct yourself as a gentleman. You can conduct yourself as a lady, no matter what they say to you. And you know what? we got to kick Medea out of the church. I'm sorry. If Medea don't want to get saved, we got to kick her out of the church. Why? Because when Medea was in her interview with Dr. Phil, you remember, she said, if they don't get me, I'm going to get them. That's unchristian, Medea, and you need to repent, Medea. Huh? We don't need to bring Medea up into the house of God if Medea not going to live right. And why we got to follow her example, if she going to get them, she going to get us, probably. So leave Medea alone. Leave her alone. No, you be Christian, and you learn how to be nice and be sweet to people. Let Medea be mean if she wants to be mean. But you be saved. You be polite. You honor. Well, they said something ugly to me. I'm going to say something ugly. No, don't say it back. Well, they did me wrong. Don't get them back. Don't get them back. Come on, let's go on. Am I preaching all right? Am I preaching all right? Verse 18. Oh, here it is. Here it is, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. I need you to weed eat around the recovery center. I don't want to weed eat today. Servants, be subject to your masters. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Well, I need you to go over here and flush the toilets and empty the trash today. I, I need you to do this. Maybe your employer is asking you to do. Servants, be subject to your masters. When she tells me to empty the trash, I empty it. Glory to God. Servants, be subject to your masters. Thank you, Jesus. Hello, somebody. <laughs> y'all going to get that when y'all get home. Thank you, Jesus. And Servants, be subject to your masters. And what does he say? With all fear, not only good and gentle, but also to the forward ones. He's saying the people that are the kind of the shoddy boss, the people that are ugly, the people that are cussing while you're trying to live right and not cuss and live holy, he's saying, serve them. Serve them. Show them honor and serve them. Oh, and I hope y'all are listening to what this preacher's saying today because I'm trying to help you to learn how not to be taken advantage of. Verse 19, for this is thankworthy if a man of conscience toward God endure being taken advantage of and endure suffering wrongly. I had a boss one time. I worked 368 days without a day off. Brother B, that's against the law. Yeah, but I worked for him. Why, Brother B? Because my children would not have shoes on their feet if I didn't work for him. What'd you do? I kept working for him. He was a drunk Italian Catholic funeral director. And I worked for that drunk Italian Catholic funeral director for 368 days without a day off. I served that man. I waited on him hand and foot. Drunk as a skunk, I'd load him up, wait on the families, dress the bodies, embalm the bodies, put him in the hearse, put him in the limousine. I drove that drunk Italian Catholic funeral owner all over the state of Arkansas. We buried bodies everywhere. He was so drunk, he didn't know who we were killing, who we were burying, who we were embalming. He, he didn't know nothing. He was just drunk out of his head. And he would cuss me all day long. He fired nine other funeral directors in the four-year time that I served him. And he never fired me. He fired me every day and I came back to work every day. He fired all of them and they left. He fired me and I didn't have sense enough to go. Did he take advantage of you? Yes, he did. On my anniversary, he made me work. On my kids' birthdays, he made me work. On my wife's birthday, he made me work. He just kept me working and just kept 
pushing me and kept working me and kept staying on top of me. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? He said, the church is this way. Just get used to it. And so I just kept working. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And I kept putting that drunk Italian Catholic in that, in that hearse and kept carrying him all around. He would cuss his babies in the back of the funeral home, say ugly things at his wife. Old preacher would stand up. I was just stupid enough to get in between them. And I'd say, you shut your mouth. Go in there and get your vodka and hush up. And I'd pick his little babies up and we'd go in the flower room and play with the flowers in the flower room in the back of the funeral home. Taken advantage of abused, said ugly things to. But if you learn how to be a servant, if you learn how to show them honor, if you learn how to lift them up, if you learn how to keep your peace, God who is will give you peace that passes all understanding and you'll learn how to come through the storm with a sweet spirit and not backslide. Isn't that the goal? Not to go back to the devil? That's the goal. That's the point of this. Is not to go back to the world, the flesh, and the devil. But if somebody's taking advantage of you, if you don't know how to hold your peace and get your act together, then you're going to go back in the world and seven devils worse than the one you had are going to come back and get you again. Don't let that be done to you. Don't let it be done to yourself. Look at verse 20. What does he say? He says, for what glory is it when you're taken advantage of for your faults? You take it patiently. But if you do well and suffer it and learn how to be patient, this is acceptable with God. Listen, I'm going to get you out of it here in a minute. But I need you to stay in it just for a few more minutes. He says, show honor. Be a servant. And then the third thing he says is be patient. When you're being taken advantage of, again, I'm not talking about abuse, but I'm talking about someone who's higher in authority using you for dishonest gain. Learn how to be patient. Trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Why? Because God is keeping a record of that. Oh, I wish that, that was your point to say amen right there. Because God is keeping a record of that. He's keeping a record of that. And do you know one of these days, God is going to settle up with everybody. And all that had happened to you and all that was done to you, God has a record of it. God knows what's going on. And one of these days, you'll be able to stand before the presence of a holy God. And every time you were taken advantage of, every time you were used, every time you were stepped on for dishonest gain, God knows their name. God knows what they did. God knows how to deal with them. So you just be patient. You just be patient. And I didn't say be a doormat. Just be patient. Oh yeah, there were times I had to stand up. There were times I had to say, no. Hello somebody. No, I can't take anymore. But when you're being taken advantage of, you've got to stay the course. Oh, could I tell you about Joseph? Somebody threw him in a pit. Taken advantage of. Somebody took his coat and ripped it up. And guess what? Psalm 55. It was his brothers in his own house done that to him. Took advantage of him. Took advantage of him. And, and sold into slavery. And then put into uh, Potiphar's house. And then out of Potiphar's house into worse bondage. But he was patient. Never do you ever hear in the story of Joseph where Joseph ever complained. No, Joseph just stayed steadfast with God and he stayed patient with God and he served everybody he was under until God promoted him and put him in the palace. Hello, somebody. 
Say these words out loud with me. If I complain, I remain. But if I praise, God will raise. Somebody clap your hands and give God some glory in here. Hello, somebody. Come on, say it with me one more time. Let's, let's pump ourselves up a little bit. You ready? Come on, stir yourself up. If I complain, I remain. But if I praise, God will raise. Come on, clap your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Huh? You teach them that next morning, tomorrow morning in, in Bible study. If I complain, I remain. But if I praise, God knows how to raise. And, and, and let me just wrap it up right here. And look at what he says in 21. He says, for even hereunto were you called. Guess what? If you're being taken advantage of, you're right in the middle of call of God on your life. You see that? Look at that. Verse 21. You say, well, Brother B, that's real encouraging. I'm being taken advantage of. That means I'm called of God. Yeah. Why? Because they took advantage of Jesus. They took advantage of Jesus, didn't they, Daddy? They're going to take advantage of you. If they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to you. And if you want to be like Jesus, how many of you say, I want to be like Jesus? Uh, come on, wave your hand at me. I want to be like Jesus. Then they're going to do it to you. They're going to do it to you. And he says, for this whereunto you were called. He said, because Christ also was taken advantage of, leaving us an example. Um, yeah, that we should follow in his footsteps uh, who did no sin, neither was their guile found in his mouth, uh, who when he was reviled, uh, when he was taken advantage of, he didn't take advantage back. Uh, when he suffered, uh, he didn't threaten them, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. What are you saying, Brother B? I'm saying Jesus was taken advantage of. Uh, Jesus was reviled. Your Bible says there was a man named Judah that walked in the same house as Jesus walked in for three years. And all the time while Jesus was doing miracles there was a man named Jesus that was plotting how he was going to take advantage of Jesus. And Jesus kept serving and kept being good. If Jesus was God and Judas was planning to take advantage of him, don't you think Jesus would have known what Judas was was doing but Judas stayed in that house three years later the plot was fulfilled Judas took advantage of Jesus and sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver but I'm so glad Judas took advantage of Jesus and sold him out because if Judas hadn't sold him out Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross and if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross you and I would still be lost you and I would still be out here in a sin sick world away from God on our way to hell but Judas took advantage of him and then your Bible says the priest and the Pharisee well I feel like preaching this morning took advantage of him and, and the Bible says they falsely accused him Jesus didn't do no wrong oh won't that happen to you you'll be doing the right thing and somebody will say something ugly about you you'll be living righteous living holy and some fry some Pharisee some scribe somewhere will try to take advantage of you and they'll say oh 
all manner of evil against you. Oh, but Jesus didn't revile back. Jesus didn't threaten back. Jesus, your Bible says, went as a lamb to the slaughter. That means he opened not his mouth. When he could have called 10,000 angels. Is anybody going to help me preach in here? He could have called 10,000 angels, but Jesus went as a lamb to the cross. He didn't open his mouth. No, Jesus just kept being Jesus. He kept being sweet. He kept being kind. He kept working miracles. He kept raising the dead, but they sent your Lord. They sent my Lord to the cross. And when he got to the cross, if they didn't take advantage of him by falsely accusing him, then they put nails inside of his hands and drove nails in his hands and drove nails inside of his feet. And they laid him on a cross. And Jesus could have called all of heaven. Oh, I remember somewhere in your Bible, Jesus called one angel down from heaven. And that one angel killed 600,000 Assyrians and children of Edom and Moabites. What if Jesus had called 10,000 angels? He would have wiped this planet out, wiped this earth out, and you and I would have been nothing but a speck on the dust of eternity. But I'm so glad Jesus kept his mouth shut. I'm so glad Jesus bled on the cross for me. I'm so glad that when they whipped him and they beat his back and they tore him open, Jesus said this blood is for you. Jesus even told them when he got on the cross and they nailed him up there, he said, Lord, he said, don't lay it to their charge. He said, forgive them, Lord, because they don't know what they're doing. I'm being taken advantage of, but forgive them, Jesus. Forgive them, God, because they don't know what they're doing. You got to learn when you get taken advantage of, you got to learn how to say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They keep blocking me. But Lord, they don't know what they're doing, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. They keep trespassing against me. But Lord, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. I'm on fire today, y'all. I, I, I don't know if you're on fire, but honey, I'm on fire. I got enough fire for you today. I, I'm feeling good today. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. The ultimate. Shed his blood for me. And your Bible says right here, you were called to the same thing. But you know what he did? He committed to him that judges righteously. So if you've been taken advantage of, here's the last thing you got to do. Be a servant. Be patient. Show honor. And then give the situation to God. Give it to God. You know when Jesus gave it to God? He didn't give it to God when He said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's not when He gave the situation to God. You know when He gave the situation of the disadvantage to God? When He was in the garden praying and great drops like blood were sweating from His brow. Your Bible says, he said, Lord, he said, they're taking advantage of me. If you could let this cup pass from me, if you could let it pass from me. But God made him drink the cup. Let me ask you a question. What makes you think that you're so holy that if Jesus had to drink the cup of his own suffering, that you won't have to have a sip or two for yourself too? Huh? If you're going to be like Jesus, yeah, you better drink with him, baby. I'd rather have Jesus as a drinking buddy than the devil. 
It may be bitter going down, but it's sweet coming out, baby. Hello, somebody. It might be rough when I have to drink it at first. But if I want heaven to be my home, uh, if I want heaven to be my home, then I've got to learn that when I'm taken advantage of, I've got to be like Jesus. This is whereunto I've been called. And because I've been called, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be sweet. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to honor those that are in authority over me. I'm going to be a good servant. And I'm going to hope to God they'll be a good master. But if not, God's keeping a record of it. And one of these days, He'll judge fairly. Stand with me. I want the musicians to come back.